My name is Kathy Pence. I'm the children's pastor here at SCUM. And I wanted to tell you a little bit about myself. Uh, I, some of you might know this already. If you know me well, you might know this. I am a know-it-all. I love to know it all. And I love, love to be right. Um, hopefully not all of you guys know this about me because I've really been working on it. But uh, some of you might know that about me. Um, it is something that I've kind of been since I was a child. In fact, uh, a lot of my friends did the infamous eye roll of like, oh, gosh, here she goes again. Of course, of course, you know all the right answers and you know it all. That was me, and it still is. Uh, I'm not as vocal about it. I mean, I'm telling you right now, but I'm not as vocal about it anymore. And I think maybe some of you guys might be with me on this one. Uh, I'll give you an example, okay? So I'm in a conversation with someone, and they say something like, they just know that this piece of knowledge is so true. And I'm like, I don't think that's the right answer. You know, but I'm not going to say that because in, in the chance that I'm wrong, I don't <laughs> I don't want people to think and know that I'm wrong. So I don't say it. So what I do is I take my smartphone, I bring it down here so they can't really see, and I Google the answer. And I don't say anything, but the answer is just as I thought, and I am right. But I don't say it. It's just for my own personal pride and personal ego. Um, sometimes I am vocal about it, and there is this very famous argument between Aaron, my husband, and I. It happened within the first year of our marriage. We're almost seven years married now, next Sunday. I know, we made it so far, so far. Fingers crossed. Um, and within the first year of our marriage, we had this argument, and it was over a microwavable breakfast sandwich. Aaron had a way of making this breakfast sandwich, and I had a way of making this breakfast sandwich. Both worked. I still think that I'm right in the way that I did it, but he was able to consume his breakfast sandwich and it was good for him. So I argued with him though, you know, about this. I was like, you're doing it wrong. The directions clearly say, boop, 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 you know, do this. And he's like, listen, I've done it this way every single time. It's fine. It works. I know it works. And so that's, that's really what mattered was that it worked and that we both got that terrible microwavable goodness inside us. That's really what mattered, right? Um, so I was sometimes I'm more vocal about being right. And then other times there's um, the group setting. You might have experienced this, okay? We, I think as a culture, as people, we cannot stand to not know something. We have to know the answer. I mean, it's been like that. I think since the beginning of time, Adam and Eve had to know the tree of knowledge. It was they needed to know more, whatever their intention was behind it. Um, it's that kind of root issue within all of us. But you're in a group setting, and someone asks, uh, what's the name of that actor 
from the first original Pink Panther movie. Some of you guys might know this. I just actually had this conversation with someone, so that's why it's stuck in my mind. They asked me, and I was like, I don't know. And she was like, ah, Google it. But she's 65, and she doesn't have Google or know how to use it, and I didn't have it with me. Anyways, but you're in a group setting. Someone asks, you know, what's the name of that actor? And everyone gets their phone out, their smartphone, and they must Google it. And the first person to find it is praised. They're like, oh, I know who it is. It's Peter Sellers. Like, that's the guy for the Pink Panther. And then, like, everyone's like, yeah, that's right. You're so right. Awesome. And then end of conversation. That's it. And most of the conversation, your head was down in your phone. So, I mean, how much of a conversation was it really? Um, but we just cannot leave it there. Like, we have to know the answer with everything. Um, I think we are just not comfortable with the unknown. And then we have to be right, too, to boot. And I think we do the same thing with Scripture. This passage that we're about to read is um, Luke 17, 20 through 37. And it's about Jesus coming back. It's about his return. And we all, this is following This is why I can't stand on this stage. I get so distracted. Uh, But you've heard so many theories of the second coming, the end times, the apocalypse, whatever you want to call it, right? And there's all these theories now with the blood moons. Um, I haven't looked too much into that, but I'm sure it's everywhere, right? Um, And I have something... I want to show, it's after the passage here. So I looked this up on a really credible site, Wikipedia. Um, This is just a portion of the predictions of the end of the world. So I'm not going to read through it all, but you can see like the date 66 to 70 CE. That's right around Jesus' time there. Common era, someone predicted the arrival of the Messiah. And then it goes on, like all these different, you know, predictions. And they all thought they were right, I'm sure. But they were all so wrong, right? Because this didn't happen. And now, I have another one. This is funny. These are some future predictions. 2020, Gene Dixon claimed that the Armageddon would take place in 2020 and Jesus will return to defeat the unholy trinity of the Antichrist Satan and the false prophet between 2020 and 2037. Dixon previously predicted the world would end on February 4th, 1962. That didn't work out for him. So he got another prediction. It's so, what's funny to me is that it's very specific. Like these people have date, time, description, this is what's going to happen, and they're telling everybody. I mean, you've heard, I'm sure, you have had conversations with people, even yourself, and you might even have your own opinions of when the end times are going to take place. I just thought it was interesting, and I wanted to bring that up. Um, There's so many different ideas out there. So we're doing this uh, with Scripture, You know, we have our own theories. We take parts of scripture out and we use what's good for us. And we don't, you know, it's not that it's bad to be interested in these things and study these things. 
Uh, but to have it be your whole focus and your whole goal is where I think we miss the point. So I do not claim to have all the right answers, at least tonight, right now. Other times I might. But for this, I, I don't know. And I don't fully understand this passage but I want to do my best to unpack the verses and for us to study it and give you some history and some insight and some application that we can take home. Um, So we're continuing our study in Luke 17, 20 through 37. I'm going to read from New American Standard. It's just my preference. It is similar to the NIV, but just a little bit different phrasing. And if you have any questions about translations, you can ask the staff or myself afterwards. It's crazy, but it's really cool and interesting. Um, I'll read it through, and then we'll go back and break it down. Now, having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is, for behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. And he said to the disciples, the days will come when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. They will say to you, look there, look here, do not go away, and do not run after them. For just like the lightning, when it flashes out of one part of the sky, shines to the other part of the sky, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same that happened in the days of Lot. They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting, they were building. But on that day, that lot went out from Sodom. It rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, the one who is on the housetop and whose goods are in the house must not go down to take them out. And likewise, the one who is in the field must not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on the night... There will be two in one bed. One will be taken, the other will be left. There will be two women grinding at the same place. One will be taken, and the other will be left. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, and the other will be left. And answering, they said to him, Where, Lord? And he said to them, Where the body is, there also the vultures will be gathered. So let's go back through this here. Got a mixture of notes and iPad here. Verse 20. If you've been following along with us in Luke, you know that the Pharisees have a source of contention and opposition to Jesus. This isn't saying that all the Pharisees were like this, but when we see this part, when he's talking to the Pharisees, we know that there is opposition here. We also know of the Pharisees, that they were rule followers, uh, keepers of the law. They really thought they were doing the right thing. They had a very specific way of living, and they were very familiar with the scriptures. So in verse 20, when they ask when the kingdom of God was coming, 
they had been waiting for it to come, so it makes sense for them to ask. I actually got something from Steve today, which was a really cool tidbit of information. If you have any questions regarding uh, anything Jewish, ask Steve, right? Would that be good? Is that a good uh, way to, yeah. Yeah, so Steve said that actually it was um, common for the rabbis to believe uh, that there were two messiahs coming, that there would be a messiah that would represent the son of David and a messiah to represent son of Joseph, who is more of a servant and more of kind of like the Jesus that we understand. So I thought that was really interesting. And it kind of gives us a clue of what their expectations might be. Um, they were expecting son of David, king, uh, to really like come and just kind of whoop some butt, you know? And their expectations were clouded, though. I mean, seeing that the kingdom of God was right in front of them. Typically, the word kingdom, I mean, not only then, but today, when we think of kingdom, we think of kings and queens and royalty. We think of Kate and little Georgie and all the, te- you know, I think that's their kid's name, right? Otherwise, just forget it. Just let that fall away. Um, but I'm pretty sure as I'm in the grocery line and I'm reading the tabloids, it's Kate and George. Anyways, if they're in town, you're going to know about it, right? So they, there's, I mean, there's so much other stuff that you expect when you think of kingdoms. And I think that's what the Pharisees were expecting. I had a little... Um, my hometown in Ohio, it's just this little town, but Nicholas Cage and Willem, Willem, Willem Dafoe were filming in my hometown. I wasn't even there and I knew where they were, when they were there. Cause all my family and friends were like, ah, Nicholas Cage, Willem Dafoe is awesome. And I was getting excited about it. So like you can, you know, if someone that popular or a king was in town, you certainly would know about it. Uh, similar to today. Uh, But I think God, in this verse, uh, Jesus was talking about the things that aren't seen and talking about the things that they didn't expect. Um, And obviously, Jesus didn't come in the way that they were expecting He responds and says the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, meaning that the signs aren't the obvious ones they're looking for, the signs in the world as they knew it. The signs Jesus gives might be more spiritual, internal, within the heart. Some translations in um, verse 21, it says, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. In this one, it says, for the kingdom of God is in your midst. Um, So Jesus could be talking about the intangible, the internal, the heart stuff. Or he could be like, duh, I'm right in front of you. The kingdom of God is in your midst. He could be just talking about the process of acknowledging God. It's not the external things of this world, but the internal. These Pharisees he was talking to, they may have never even got it. 
um, because they were so focused on the external and the worldly. They were so focused on being right. Verse 22. Let me just read it. And he said to the disciples, the days will come when you will long to see one of the days of man, the son of man, and you will not see it. They will say to you, look there, look here, do not go away and do not run after them. So Jesus begins to speak to his disciples now. This could have happened right in the same room, Pharisees turn disciples, or Luke could just be referring to this one time he was talking to the Pharisees, and this one time he was talking to the disciples. Either way, it goes hand in hand. The ideas go hand in hand. But this verse in 22, it's not only saying that Jesus will no longer be with them for a time, but also things won't be as easy for the disciples. I mean, they long to see the days of the Son of Man. They're with him now. They've been with him for a few years, and they're learning and growing and having a pretty cool time, probably, I would think. I mean, I would have a really rad time if I was hanging out with Jesus. But Jesus is saying there's going to be a day where they long to see Jesus again, where they long for these days, and they will not. In 23, when it says, look there, look here, do not go away, do not run after them, there's going to be temptations and temporary external things that they will want to run after, maybe even false prophets or a false Jesus, all these theories of Jesus' return. But he's saying, do not run after them. Because even though he said to the Pharisees, the signs are not to be observed, he does say the signs that he, God, wants us to see are going to be obvious. In verse 24, when it talks about the lightning, for just like the lightning, when it flashes out of one part of the sky, shines to the other part of the sky, so will the Son of Man be in his day. So this is talking about Jesus' return. This is where we're kind of getting a little bit more like this is what he's talking about. When he returns, it's going to be obvious. It's, there's not going to be any confusion. But first, before all this, Verse 25, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. This is pertaining to Jesus' brutal death on the cross. But I think it also means our rejection to him every day. We reject Jesus every day. And before Jesus returns, he has to go through it. It says he must go through it. And I want to read Isaiah 53. I know it's long. But I want to read this because this is this is a prediction 400 years or so before Jesus comes. And I think it's it's so good. So I want to read it. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. 
But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. So it says Jesus has to go through it. He had to go through it. But when he returns, it's going to be just like the days of Noah and Lot. These stories are are so grim, too, if you know them. Um, you can find them in Genesis uh, for Noah, Genesis chapter 6 through 10, and Lot is in Genesis chapter 19. I won't go through the stories, um, but you might be familiar with them. Um, the people in these stories were wicked, really wicked. Their focus was not on God at all. They had no remorse for their sins. And in fact, we see from verses 27 through 29 that they went on with their business as usual. Noah and Lot and warned everyone. And they had plenty of time to repent, but they did not. And as a consequence, they were destroyed. They did not believe in the power of God. And though I'm not comparing our everyday lives, how we live them out, to these wicked people in the story of Noah and Lot, I do wonder if we really believe in the power of God. Maybe we don't believe that Jesus cares enough about us to return, to come back for us. Maybe we want something tangible now, and we're seeking all these answers because we just have to know. We have to know the answers. These verses aren't pretty, and they don't feel good, and I don't fully get them. It, I wish I had a nice Sunday sermon for you, um, one that you could write home about. But I do have hope and truth to offer. And uh, I'd actually like to, before we go on, I wanted to do this before, but... I just went into it. But before we continue, I'd like to stop and just pray if you guys would join me in prayer. 
God, I, I love you so much. And I know you love us. And I know you care for us deeply. I ask that as we continue to read through this passage, God, that you would remind us of your hope, that you would be our confidence, that you would remind us of your love, even in something that seems so grim. God, let these words be an act of worship for you, even if we don't know the answers. And help us to be okay with that. Thank you so much. Amen. Verse 31. We'll just keep on going. Actually, back up. No, verse 31. Let's read it. On that day, the one who is on the housetop and whose goods are in the house must not go down to take them out. And likewise, the one who is in the field must not turn back. We have stuff. We have a lot of stuff. And we have people that we care about. Um, I'm married. Have been almost seven years. As I said earlier, we have a beautiful boy. And I love them. I adore them. If I was on that rooftop, I might think twice about going down and getting them. But if I did, I mean, it really, it really says that I don't trust God, that he has them, that he can take care of them. And I think that, um, you know, all the stuff that we're reading, and even in the verse 26 through 30 where it's talking about Noah and Lot, and they're going on business as usual, I mean, they're... They're eating, drinking, marrying, etc. These things aren't bad in and of themselves. I mean, they're, God gives us, like, awesome stuff and really great relationships. But if they're above Jesus, if we care about these people, these relationships, the stuff, more than we do God, then we are going to miss it. And we're going to miss paradise with him. I wasn't going to say this, but maybe I will now. But Jesse preached several weeks ago. Um, I thought maybe this would be confusing, but I think it's still good and relevant about um, hating our family. And, of course, it's not about hating them. uh, But in comparison, like, is Jesus enough for us? And I think that's that's what I'm reminded of when I read these verses here in Luke. And when we're talking about being on the housetop and having this stuff and returning back. And and then it's saying, remember Lot's wife. I don't know if you guys remember that part of the story, but as they're leaving, you know, they were instructed not to look back. And she looks back and she turns into a pillar of salt. It's a forever reminder. She is a monument, a reminder of where her heart was, and it was not for God. And this goes into verse 33. If we seek to keep the things of this world, the things not of Jesus, if Jesus truly is not on the throne of our hearts, we're, we're going to miss it. We're 
We're going to miss him. In this verse, the Greek word for will lose means to be destroyed, to put out of the way entirely, abolish, put an end to the ruin. It's pretty grim. But whoever loses his life will preserve it. Whoever gives up the temporary satisfactions of this world, the lusts and the desires of the right now, will preserve their lives. Um, I've been on a diet. I've told you guys that already. I've lost a pound a week, which is great. Um, Starting out, this diet was to lose weight because I gained a lot of pounds with Zeb, and I wanted to lose weight. Uh, But in this process, I've recognized my extreme addiction to food. And it is so hard. Aaron got pizza yesterday, and I had already eaten dinner. And I was like, I'm not going to have pizza. No, he offered it. And I was like, no, thanks. No, I'm going to be good. And I just kept walking by that stupid box of pizza. I didn't even have to go to the bathroom. And I would just walk by it like, there it is. (laughs) Just staring at me in the face, the epic meats. Epic meats pizza. And I had a piece of pizza It wasn't even that good. It was not good. It was cold and gross, and the meat was too big. Like, it was weird, you know, too big of a chunk of meatball on a pizza. But I I failed. I, I gave in to that temporary satisfaction. And that's what my issue is, is the that that salt and that flavor hits my tongue. And I'm like, oh, give me more, give me more. You know, and I'm full. And I'm beyond full. I'm, my stomach's hurting. And I was, I'm like, oh, but give me more, give me more. Uh, Aaron and I are going to Ohio for Thanksgiving. But I'm really thankful and bummed at the same time that we fly out on Thanksgiving. And we get in midnight Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday because of the food. It's the one day that I can justify gorging myself and sleeping it off afterwards. But we're going to miss Thanksgiving. And I'm actually thankful for that. I think that it's a provision from the Lord because I'm struggling with it. I I seek to, to gain for the right now. But Jesus says, whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. And then it goes into this chunk of the um, Left Behind series here. (laughs) We have the game here in the purple room, just in case you're wondering. Um, But it talks about When the Son of Man is revealed, when the return of Jesus, there will be two people, one left, one taken. I thought that was funny because when I first started reading it, I was like, instantly thought, I have a 50-50 shot. (laughs) And that's not what he's saying. You don't have a 50-50 shot, okay? 
it does show the seriousness of Jesus. And it shows really how many people are for Jesus and how many people are not. You can say and do all the right things. You can. And you might be able to fool everyone else, but you can't fool God. He knows our hearts, our innermost, our deepest. So if you're truly not for God, for Jesus, you're not going to be reunited with him in paradise. You're not. You will not make it. The one who seeks to keep his life will lose it. Those, and in the end, those will be surrounded by vultures. That's funny. They ask, where, Lord? And Jesus doesn't answer them. He doesn't say where. He responds, though, to the one that is left. And says that where the body is, there also the vultures will be gathered. When I first read this, I was like, I cannot believe that staff gave me this passage. I mean, I did not know how I was going to discuss, like, the most widely debated topic in our Christian culture, in our culture in general. I was like, this is crazy. I mean, it's so... It's so crazy. But here's the truth and the hope part. Even though it may seem hopeless for those who live for the temporary, there is hope for those who believe in a risen Savior who died for our sins and is coming back again. A Savior who cares about us and loves us so much that he would go through all of this for us. And I'll end with Second Peter three nine. This is cool. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. It's not like he is waiting, you know, for all of our demise. But he loves us so much, and he's so patient with us. And one day, even though it's hard now to kind of say no to things, he will bring us into glory. We do have hope in him. So again, I'm sorry, this isn't necessarily the fluffy sermon that we can just consume and be full on, go home and sleep it off. Um, But it is good. God is good. I'm so grateful for his goodness. And I have to be reminded of it every day. Because life is so, so shitty (laughs) some days, you know? And I think that we as a community have really been going through it. 
in the past couple weeks have been really hard. And I know that you guys are exhausted and you feel beat down. But I want you to remember God's promises and his goodness. And he does care about you so much. Whenever you can't remember it, we have a really great community that we can remind each other of the times that we've seen goodness in your life. And I know that I need that. I need that reminder. So you guys, I'm asking you to do that for me. Because in times like this, and in times where it is really hard, and it's going to be really hard when Jesus comes back, it might be in 2020, it might be in tomorrow. Who cares when it's actually going to happen? The fact is that it's going to happen. But in the meantime... We can love each other, love Jesus to the best that we can. So that's all I have for you. I ask that you would pray for me and my struggles. I'll be thinking of you guys and your struggles as we go on this week. Uh, Maybe you have similar issues as I do, and Thanksgiving's going to be really hard for you. Uh, Maybe it's something else, you know. But the really great thing is that we don't have to do it alone and that he does give us each other. So that's really cool. Um, I love you guys a lot. That's all I have. Thanks.